This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, today I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. And again, I am beginning a brand new sermon series today entitled, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. In this message this morning, the sermon is entitled, Eyes on the Cross. I want to read for you now, beginning in verse number 16, Mark chapter 15 and verse number 16. The scripture says this, and the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto a place... Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the subscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Many churches all across America are radically changing the sound fundamentals and doctrines of the faith, especially in these particular last days. I've never seen anything like it in all my life. But I am aware of churches who once stood on firm foundations now beginning to preach and teach trends, not only of false doctrines, but leading to apostasy. That's very important. They are accepting 
certain portions of Scripture, but skirting around issues that confront and speak to the heart. And here is the thing, getting away from the issue of sin. Now, I want you to think about that just for a moment. Many churches today are even going as far as changing the word being saved, and they have now incorporated which they believe to be a politically correct term to represent being salvaged. But I will tell you, friend, there's a major difference between being saved and being salvaged. We have to be careful in this modern-day church that we live in, this world that we live in today, that we do not change the sound fundamentals of the faith, that we continue to preach the sound doctrines, and we continue to exalt and lift Christ up for who he is. And so I want you to think with me this morning as we go through this opening sermon leading into three others, how important sound doctrine, especially now about the cross and the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, how important it is and how we should never, ever get to the place where we water this thing down or even become silent on its doctrine. Isaac Watts, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with him, he was a great songwriter of yesterday. I love all the new songs that we sing today. I'm not as familiar with those songwriters of new songs. I enjoy them. They speak and minister to my spirit, and I can worship and praise God with the new ones just as well as I can with the old ones. But sometimes the old songs which I grew up on takes me down memory lane, and I can remember as a child standing in church and singing some of these old hymns. Isaac Watts was a familiar songwriter in the day that I grew up in, and he brought to the world some of the most beloved gospel hymns that I personally have ever heard in my life. In fact, he wrote over 6,000 of them. Think about that. He was born in England in 1674, and in 1712, Isaac Watts became ill with a life-threatening sickness that required him to recuperate in the home of his dear friends who around the clock took care of him. And from the bedside, he wrote these words, sick unto death, God the Holy Spirit began to speak to him with this incredible hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? He also went on to write words like this, When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. When we think of the cross, how could we not think of those particular songs? And how about the one that we learned from childhood, the old rugged cross? 
I'm glad that I can tell you that we still sing those songs in our church today. This morning, I'd like for us to go to the scene of the cross and ask the Lord, God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to us right where we are. I want us to take a personal, up-close look at it. And I want to remind you of some significant biblical truths that lead us to the theme and thought of today's sermon. After Pilate had given in to the crucifixion, and you remember that three times he had said, I find no fault in this man. But after he reluctantly had given in to the crucifixion, the word says that they led him to a place called Golgotha. I don't have time to re-preach this particular aspect today. I did when we were in the Holy Land. That there are some particular denominations who believe that Jesus was crucified in what is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And then there are Christians, believers, who believe that Jesus was crucified, as the Word says, on a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And I will tell you, I've been there many times. I took 22 people there with me this year, and uh, we went to this place called the place of the skull. Now, how do I know that Jesus was not crucified in the church of the Holy Sepulchre? Because that church is located inside of the city gate. How do I know that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha? First of all, the Word says it, but also Golgotha, Calvary, is outside the gate. And the book of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus was crucified outside the camp. That's important because just little things like that, tradition will lead us in blind alleys. And it's important that we stay focused with the truths of God's Word. So the the Bible says that they led him to a place called Golgotha, and it's uncomprehendable that by the time this part of the story took place, you have to remember something, that Jesus was beaten beyond human recognition before this part of the story. Before he got to Golgotha, before he got to Calvary, The Word teaches us, Isaiah the prophet said, his visage was so marred that no man would know him. That really means this, that he was beaten in his face beyond human recognition. He had already been flogged with the cat of nine tails. They whipped the flesh off of his body to where his vital organs were now exposed. They had plaited the crown of thorns upon his brow The thorns is not anything that you're familiar with. When you go out to clip roses off of your rose bush and you might prick your finger with a little thorn, the thorns that they pressed upon the brow of Jesus were about two inches long, and when they pressed it upon his brow, it reached the bone of his skull. This barbaric activity all took place before this part of the story. Now... I mean, it's even uncomprehendable how in the world Jesus could carry the load of the cross, but he did. You see, there at the cross, there is the master plan of God unfolding for all humanity. Even Jesus knew it would be difficult. He said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. 
He said, not my will, but yours. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, you and I have come to love the cross. Even though we know the brutality of it, we know the barbarianism of it. As a believer, as a Christian, as a child of God, you and I have come to love it. That's what the song says, I will cherish the old rugged cross. And all of us who know Jesus as our personal Savior, we have come to that place in our life where we cherish the old rugged cross. Yet at the same time, we are, as believers, we're broken in spirit when we reflect on these aspects of the cross because we are aware of the affliction that he suffered in a most barbaric way. But we also rejoice in the victory that the cross provided. Those of us who are saved, and I hope that you understand what I mean by the word saved. You have been born again. You have, by the Spirit of God, been brought into the body of Christ. If any man be in Christ, listen carefully, none of us are born in Christ. All of us are born on our way to hell. The only thing that interrupted that was the old rugged cross. As a believer, we love to sing about the cross. We love to hear about it. We're thankful for it. We cherish it. We cling to it. We understand it. We embrace it. We glory in it. We are inspired by the cross. But let me tell you, there are millions of people in this world who do not feel the same way that you and I feel about the cross. In fact, there are millions of people in the world today who are actually offended by the cross. Not only that, they're offended by nativity scenes. Let me just get this out of the way first. I am not politically correct. We are not a politically correct church. We have nativity scenes. We believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, just as the Word says. And so there are people that are, though, offended by nativity scenes and passion plays, Bibles in the workplace, religious jewelry, gospel tracts. And listen, do you know the reason, the real reason why people all over the world are offended by those things? Because those particular things, all of that points to the cross, and Paul talked about the offense of the cross in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 11. He said, and I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Someone may say, well, pastor, why are so many people offended by the cross? Really, there are three predominant reasons. Let me get these to you real quickly here. First of all, the cross stands for the judgment of sin. Now, you have to think about that because most people in this world do not like to be called sinners. Most people do not like to be confronted with sin. This, this is a world now where we live where humanity is just racing through every single day with its hair blowing in the wind like there is no tomorrow, no accountability whatsoever. Don't bother me. They don't want to hear about the wrong or the sin in their life. But sin, listen carefully, sin is the reason for the cross to begin with. In fact, let me give you these scriptures real quickly here. In Romans 3.23, the word says this, 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? All. All means all. Every single one of us. Paul said, there's none righteous, no, not one. He said this in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said this in Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the prophet Isaiah said it this way, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That word iniquity means sin. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You see, the cross is a constant reminder to the world that we are all hell-deserving sinners. Not one person in the human race has ever been born worthy in their own merit to go to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. Secondly, the cross declares a blood sacrifice. And for the most part, listen, let me remind you of something. And I think that most everybody in here today is mature enough to go along with this and to, to understand what I'm talking about. But for the most part, people do not mind looking at blood on television and movies. In fact, those kind of movies, in the long run, many times over, have produced box office hits. Let me ask you something. Do you know that the average 21-year-old in America has been a viewer of at least 10,000 hours of violent programming in their life? Another survey, a typical 16-year-old has seen a quarter of a million dramatized episodes of murder, assaults, shootings, and all sorts of assorted dismemberments. In fact, those kind of television programs and movies, in the long run, they end up winning Emmy Awards and Oscars. People don't mind reading about that. In fact, one of the best-selling books of all time was written by a man named Truman Capote in Cold Blood. You see, the world doesn't mind it when it's presented to us in a secular, brutal way. But you let Mel Gibson come along with the passion of the Christ, put some blood on the body of Jesus and his cross, let the blood trickle down his brow, let it run down his body and onto the ground, let the preacher preach about the blood from the pulpit, and many people want to file a class action lawsuit. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 said, and I want to remind you of something this morning, because if Jesus was only a baby in a manger, and if that as far as it ever went, not a single human being would have an ounce of hope. I want you to think with me today. If Jesus was only confined to a carpenter shop, he did not go past the age of 12. He just fixed things with his father Joseph. Listen, none of us would have an ounce of hope. Even if Jesus, his earthly life was just confined to miracles, walking on the water, opening blind eyes, making the deaf hear, making the dumb speak, cleansing the leper, raising the dead. If that's all Jesus did, none of us would have an ounce of hope. You have to understand this, that it was far more than Jesus and his 
manger in Bethlehem. It was far more than Jesus in the carpenter shop. He came with a purpose, and that was to die and shed his blood. But number three, quickly, because the cross says that it's the only way. The majority of the people in this world today are offended by that. Let me remind you, this thing about Jesus being the only way is not something that Christians made up. Conservatives made up. This is something that Jesus Christ said himself. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way. He didn't say, I I am a way, a better way, another way, the good way. He said, I am the way. The truth and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. And so, for the next few moments, I want to very quickly take an up-close and personal look at Jesus on the cross. And I want to look at him on the cross through the eyes of others. First of all, number one, if you're looking at your bulletin today, we view the cross through the eyes of the centurions. Most of you know what a centurion is, Roman soldiers, and they were members of the Roman military who actually mocked and ridiculed Jesus during this time of crucifixion. They were the ones, listen carefully, they were the ones playing the lottery under the cross. Mark 15, 24, and when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them what every man should take. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross after beaten beyond recognition, where most people wouldn't even survive the beating of the cat of nine tails, now carrying the cross, now having nails in his hands, his feet, the crown of thorns on his brow. He's now hanging on the cross, blood trickling down his body. At at the foot of the cross, there are Roman centurions down casting lots, gambling for his garments, rolling dice on his blood-stained clothes. And if you do not know me well, look, it won't take you very long to find out that this is one preacher who is absolutely 100% totally against gambling. Now, I'm going to tell you why. Because gambling in our country has reached an epidemic high of all time. It's an addiction. It's bondage. Gambling destroys homes. It breaks up families. And it is a factor that leads to poverty. A person can gamble just about anywhere he wants to today. They can gamble here in town. They can gamble on riverboats, grocery stores, racetracks, workplace, sporting events, on the Internet. Look, if you want to gamble, you can gamble just about every which way you turn. And people think it's so wonderful. But I will tell you this morning that gambling is a lure of the devil. It's all about getting rich quick. The sad thing is this. People not only confine Please listen to this today. People not only confine, and I'm explaining to you why I'm so against it, vehemently against it, because gambling is not only about the risk of losing money or gaining money. It's not only about money, but people gamble every day with their relationships. People gamble every day with their children. While parents are so preoccupied and trying Desperately to be the coolest mom or the coolest dad in the neighborhood, they're more concerned whether or not the dog is in the house at night rather than their children. People not only gamble with money in their relationships, 
and with children, but there are people all over this world this morning who are gambling with the Holy Spirit. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm telling you that there are people today who's, who is sitting under the voice of the Holy Spirit or the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, has been working in their life in dramatical ways, and what people have a tendency to do is to say, not today, Mr. Holy Spirit, leave me alone. When I have sowed all of my wild oats, when I've crossed all my T's, when I've dotted all my I's, then perhaps there will be a time where I am ready in life to where I listen to you. But not today, Mr. Holy Spirit. I will tell you that people gamble with the Spirit every day. You say, what's the gamble with that? Let me ask you, how many of us are guaranteed to see the sunset tonight? How many of us are guaranteed to see the sunrise tomorrow morning? None of us. None of us are guaranteed that. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and you're saying one time after another, not today, not today, not today, you are rolling dice with your soul. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. People gamble every day with their day of grace, the time of salvation. They gamble every day with the pleasures of sin. And so those are the three basic reasons why I personally believe that a Christian ought not to ever get caught up in it. Number one, it's anti-work. Mentality, for the most part, is if I win the lottery, I'll never have to work again. It's also anti-Bible because the Word says, and I understand it takes money to live, but the Word says the love of it, the pursuit of it, is the root of all evil. And there is a potential of somebody becoming addicted to the roll of the dice and the price of a ticket. But the main reason is this, because of the horrific scene that's unfolding in the Scriptures before us right now. I want you to take just a minute and think with me about the soldier who won the gamble for the clothes of Jesus. There it is, dripping in blood. Okay, he won. So he takes his bloody prize and he holds it up, the blood-stained garments of the Lord Jesus Christ, standing inches away from the cross. He could care less about that. He was just doing his job. And while Jesus was there in agony, making atonement for the human race. He had just bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He was, this man was consumed with his prize. The blood on the garments could have washed that man's sins away. But let me say something. This prize, this man and his trophy, this represents many people today because with the cross in the shadows of many people, Countless upon thousands are simply wrapped up in the pleasures of materialism. And this is what most people are living for today. Perhaps he thought the bloodstained clothes would be worth more money in the future. Maybe he said, okay, I, I had to invest a little bit here. I won this. Man, I'm gonna, I can't wait till I get it on the auction block. He was unmoved about the price for salvation. And But let me say this, one day, friend, the party... It's all going to be over. He had the clothes, 
but he did not have salvation. I may say this, and you can identify with it. You might have in your home, on your coffee table, in your living room, or in your family room, you may have a huge family Bible. A lot of homes I've been in through the years do. Maybe not on the coffee table or on the end table, but there's a family Bible in the home somewhere. And you might have one. It's been passed down through, through the ages and time of your loved ones. But let me remind you of something. It's not about your family Bible. It's not about your church membership. It's not about your charter membership. It's not about maybe 25 baptisms you have. But if it, it, listen carefully. It doesn't matter what you have in the religious realm or the spiritual realm. Without the blood of Jesus, you cannot make heaven. That's important. Number two, the second group of people viewing the cross were the spectators. Look at verse number 29. And through verse 31, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. I believe that the only reason God did not strike all of these people dead who were doing these barbaric things to his son because there was an eternal work going on. God knew that it had to be. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. There was no other way. If Listen, when these people told Jesus to come down from the cross, I can assure you that had there been any intention in the mind and the heart of Jesus to come down from the cross, he certainly would not have let things go as far as they did. This is the second crowd of people who represents millions who laugh and mock at the gospel every single day. The world is filled with movie stars, lobbyists, atheists, all kinds of people. They represent co-workers and neighbors and friends all over the world who laugh and mock at the gospel, who make fun of the gospel witness. You can find them everywhere. These people saw the cross, and they chose to curse it. Number three, then there were the thieves who gazed upon the cross. Two thieves being crucified the same time that Jesus was being crucified. But unlike Jesus, listen carefully, both of those guys, both of them were worthy of death. One thief joined hands with the crowd and chose to reject Jesus and millions of people are just like that today. I pray that's not you. They have looked at the cross and they said, not today. But one of those thieves looked at the cross and realized his sin and his lost condition, and he cried out for Jesus to remember him when he came into paradise. Maybe that's what you may be wanting to do today. As that thief turned to Jesus and said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Maybe you're wanting to do that. You've never done it. Let me encourage you to do it today. Number four, then there was the devil and the demons looking at the cross. Satan looked at the cross and thought he had won a great victory. The devil thought that Calvary was his climactic hour. The devil looked at the cross and said, well, it's over now. Maybe he even whispered to Jesus, you should have listened to me in the wilderness. I was going to make you ruler of all these cities. All you had to do is trade places with me. Bow down and worship me. 
And now look at you. Maybe the devil said, if you would just listen to me, none of this would have got this far. But look at you now. Here suspended between heaven and earth is the Son of God dying in agony for the sins of the world. Perhaps somewhere in the bowels of hell there was a celebration going on especially when Jesus gave up the ghost, maybe there was an echo from the cross to hell that said he's dead. We finally did away with him. We finally got the best of him. He has no more power. He has no more miracles, no more healing. We do not have to fear of being interfered with again. There is no more intervention, no more grace, no more mercy, no more salvation, no more sermons. Maybe there was a great celebration. Jesus is dead. But what that old buzzer didn't realize this, not only Jesus, who had won the victory on the cross for the souls of men and women, but Jesus defeated him once and for all. Here was the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. When Moses wrote these words, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so when I see the wondrous cross, I see the centurions, the mocking crowd, I see the spectators, I see the thieves, I see the demons and the devil. But number five, now it's my turn. I thought about this. What do you see when you see the cross? When I see the cross, when I look at it through my eyes, when I look at Calvary today, I see that there was no other possible way for me to get to heaven. I see salvation, salvation that I could not produce. But because of the cross, because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, listen, I don't have to die and go to hell. I don't have to die as a fool. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I don't have to go to the grave as a fool because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His love, his mercy extended to me because I've opened up my heart and received him to be my personal Savior. I don't have to fear about dying and going to hell. When I see the cross, I see mercy. I see forgiveness that I can obtain through the blood. In his mercy, listen, he withholds what I deserve. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve eternal separation. I deserve eternity in an everlasting lake of fire. I deserve all of that, but he withheld that, and he gave me mercy when I received him through his blood. When I look at the cross, I also see his grace. Not only just his mercy, but also his grace. Now I can receive. I'm in a position to receive God's favor. He now gives me what I do not deserve. He gives me forgiveness. He gives me redemption. He gives me an eternal pardon. Now I can see hope. I wonder how many today face death with the fear and worry of the unknown. But when a person gives their heart to Christ, listen. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou 
heart with me. The old song says, I'm so thankful, I'm glad that I don't have to cross Jordan alone. I can go to heaven. I can be reunited with my loved ones. I can spend eternity with Jesus. I can rest from my earthly worries and sorrows and troubles and trials. I will never have to bear another burden alone. I look at the Lord Jesus on the cross and I see that he was my vicarious substitute. That means this. He took my place. He took your place on the cross. Because of the cross and the victory that Jesus won, there will never be a bogus court that he will ever have to stand in front of again. He will never, ever be exchanged for a murderer again. He will never, ever be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver again. He will never, ever have a Roman soldier beat him beyond human recognition again. He will never, ever have to wear a crown of thorns. He will never, ever have a spear in his side. He will never ever again have someone nail his hands and his feet, spit in his face, pluck his beard, and whip the flesh off of his back. Never again will somebody thrust vinegar in his face. He will never again be stripped naked before a crowd. The cross makes everything different. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. When he was here, he rode a donkey. But when he returns, he'll be riding a white stallion. When he was here, he bowed his head to his enemies. But when he returns, his enemies will bow before him. When he was here, they put a crown of thorns upon his head. But when he returns, he'll be wearing the crown of a diadem and full of glory. When he was here, they called him the king of the Jews. When he returns, he will be the king of kings. And the Lord, can somebody say amen? <laughs> glory to God in the highest. Oh, dear friend, when I survey the wondrous cross, I see a Savior, a Redeemer. I see the Prince of Peace. I see the sweet forever. And I realize that through his death and his glorious resurrection, we indeed truly have what the Bible says, a Savior. While our musicians come forward, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, listen, you're gambling with your soul. You're gambling with eternity. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how long is eternity? Eternity never ends. Can you imagine? There's a man in the Bible, his name is called King Agrippa. And he says this to the Apostle Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Can you imagine being in the eternal lake of fire with the word almost circling around your memory. Wow. I pray this morning that none of you are putting off the day of salvation. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.